0: All right, we're going to start in the book of Isaiah again this morning. We've done that the last few weeks. That really wasn't intentional, but it's nice when uh, a plan comes together, or in this case, not a plan comes together. But Isaiah, and we're going to be in a very uh, non-traditional Christmas text to get started this morning before we move into something a little more uh, traditional. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. So if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 6, if you have your Bibles or if you have your apps on your phone, go ahead and open that up. We've been looking at uh, this word and kind of uh, uh, kind of an open invitation that we have been given. to come. And behold this is what we 've seen over the last few weeks, and what we 've seen is that this is a loaded word this word behold it it 's an invitation it 's a command it 's there to get our attention and to draw us to something that we did not see before it 's there to uh, summon us to something bigger. it is there to draw our eyes and our hearts and our minds to something that is majestic and each time that we have this. This word behold, there is a summons to this thing that is decidedly grand in scope. We've seen that over and over and over again from the first week where God says to the people of Israel, come behold, I'm doing something new to the idea of what this new thing is that he is doing when the, the angels announce the birth of Jesus. This morning I want us to consider a couple of other times that this word behold is 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 throughout the narrative of Jesus' birth and his life uh, and what it should cause our hearts to do here at Christmas time. And I want to begin by reading this very familiar but non Christmassy text, but one I, I think can help set the stage for us well this morning. So Isaiah chapter six, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called. and your sin atoned for. So, we read this here in chapter 6, and I want to just kind of get that image in your mind of what Isaiah sees there. What it is that Isaiah is looking at there. If you've been around church at all, you've probably heard this text read before. In just a few moments from here, Isaiah will utter the famous lines, Here am I, send me. Usually, if you're going to read this text, you're trying to get to that one, if you're going to preach it, because there's, there's no text quite like that one that will preach, here am I, send me. But I don't want to focus in on that this morning. For this morning, all I want you to do is to, to see what Isaiah saw. God, seated high on His throne, somehow Isaiah is granted this vision, He's not literally in the presence of God, but he's given a vision of being in the presence of God. And this is is what he sees. And he is awestruck by what is in front of him. God is somehow high and lifted up. We don't know if he's just on an elevated platform or if he's kind of like hovering there. We don't really know. Isaiah doesn't tell us. But what we know is that he is high and above. Isaiah is looking up. The train of the robe fills the temple. So you can just imagine this room, which would, would, would pale in comparison to the temple, but you can just imagine this room just full of the, the, the train of the robe of God. And then God is seated high and above. I just, just imagine Him up above us here, seated up there. Angels encircle Him, flying, And calling to one another, holy, holy, holy. In this vision, when God speaks, the earth trembles. It shakes beneath Isaiah's feet. The room fills with smoke. It's an awesome scene in every sense of that word. It is spectacular. God has given this vision to Isaiah for him as he is about to give Isaiah all these things that he is to speak to his people, many of which we've looked at over the last couple of weeks. And as he is there, lifted high, smoke in the room, voice thundering, Isaiah is undone. He falls to the ground. He feels the weight of his sin and the sin of his people in not even the presence of God, but in the vision of being in the presence of God. He feels the weight of that sin. He can barely speak and the only thing that he can utter is, woe is me. He knows that he is in a place that he has no business being. Now, with that picture in mind, I want to go back to Luke and to Matthew. That picture, grand, majestic, holy, intimidating, all-powerful, earth-shaking voice, all of it. Just keep that right there in your mind. Lock it in. And then we move to the book of Luke, chapter 2. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Jesus. Verse 23. They shall call Him Emmanuel. God with us. Now it is all too easy at Christmas time for our minds to go to a manger and to a baby. Jesus, the baby. Oh, isn't He cute? And that's altogether right for us to do that to go to that scene, to see that baby there laid in that place, in that, that crib there in the, in the manger. But make no mistake about it, that baby, now held in the arms of Mary and Joseph, that baby is the same God that Isaiah saw in chapter 6. It is the same God. God. The, the God, high and exalted, terrifying, when He spoke, the ground shakes. And now that God is a baby crying and cooing. And the ground doesn't shake. And almost no one in the world stops to take notice. Notice. Isaiah is undone in the vision of being in front of him. The city of Bethlehem has no idea what's just happened as this baby cries, but it is the same God. Now embodied as the Son, the Father looks on as the Son comes to earth on a mission. The Father still existed in heaven, looks on as the Son comes and takes on the form of a man, takes on the, 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 our failing flesh. The manger scene does much to help us to consider and to understand the human nature of Jesus. But it misses the grand thing that is happening here. That God all-powerful, all-sufficient, holy, and terrifying is among us. Not only that, he has, he has come not as the all-sufficient, all-powerful being that he is. You know, he could have done it that way. He will do it that way. We'll talk about that next week. But he could have done it that way the first time. But he chose instead to come as a baby. Think about what this this means. From all-powerful, self-sufficient, to now being fully dependent upon his mother to feed him, or he cannot live. To having a diaper that needs to be changed, and clothes to keep him warm. The God of Isaiah 6 humbles Himself to that level to come and take on flesh. And all the the frailties and the insufficiencies, all of those things that you and I experience, He comes and takes those on. As I've gone through the last few weeks, reading our Jesse tree as a family, considering these sermons and preparing these sermons, reading through the reading plan that we had out there, I can't help but notice how badly we miss out on the majesty of Christmas. I think it's absolutely amazing. I I find it befuddling every year the way that our culture kind of half-heartedly, halfway embraces Christmas, the fact that something can be so theologically rich and centered and our culture still celebrate it is it's fascinating for me to, to to sit back and watch. And to be able to watch certain movies or be able to watch certain things on television where almost by accident they kind of get it right. And and, and they and they, they they talk about the 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 piece of the season, they talk about different things and more and more it's harder and harder to find that kind of language, but you just see it in there. It's hard to get away from it because that's the root of what it is. We, we watched a few weeks ago the, the, the newest Grinch, which I think we do one of those every couple of years now, but the, the newest Grinch, the animated one, and when you get to the end of it, man, it's, 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 it's got gospel all in it. And I don't think they meant to do that, but it's just there. But man, then there's so much other stuff that our culture just heaps on to Christmas. That we should not be surprised when they get it wrong. It's, it's no surprise, but, but it amazes me how you can take something that is so profound and then build everything upon it that is so transient and wasting away the 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 gift giving the 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 from from Black Friday to the, the 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 rest of the Christmas season and how we all scramble to get our gifts and I, I want to be careful here because I'm not interested in being the Grinch today and and saying hey everything that we do with Christmas is wrong Christmas traditions are great even ones that aren't inherently just. 100% spiritual, it's still great to be able to, to have those and to be able to think through those and, and celebrate those different things. We like going to look at Christmas lights and doing different things like that as a family. All those things are fine. I don't, I don't want to dismiss those. But so much of the Christmas world out there right now is just this kind of kitschy, like, transient, momentary sentiment that... just will not last from the presents to the movies to the songs that we listen to you can only rock around the Christmas tree so many times before you realize how bad some of that music is so I'll I'll defer to Chris a little bit on this one the 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 Christmas music Grinch back there and uh, and I'll echo some of that's just really bad Nobody needs to hear Last Christmas ever. That never needs to be played. We don't need to hear that. But all of that kind of music that is just this kind of secular stuff that's out there—it amazes me the people that put out Christmas albums every year. Not to sound too horribly judgmental, but there's a lot of them that's like, I don't—I'm pretty sure you don't know what you're singing. Um, you know, they have—they have, they have half the songs in the album that are you know totally just the saccharine syrupy stuff, and then the other half are are the hymns and the carols that we sing here this morning, and it's like, something's not lining up here. And it amazes me how that happens every single year. But I think so much of it is because it just has become so familiar. It's become so just moving on from what Jesus came for to fake trees and fake snow and fake emotion. My goal in these sermons is not that you would become a cynic. That's the tool of weak people, of ungrateful people. My goal is not that you would be a cynic. But my goal is that you would worship and that you would experience Christmas in a way that is so much deeper than the cotton candy Christmas that we are given every single year. When I was a kid, the, the, the fakeness of Christmas was kind of driven home to me, uh, but I didn't know it until several years later. When I was a kid, uh, there was this, this moment that is as real to me today as you and I here in this room looking at one another. Now, the way I remember it and the way my parents remember it are two very different things. Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know why that is the case, but it's kind of a legendary story within my house. But I was probably five to six years old Uh, It was Christmas Eve, and evidently I was doing what what, what kids do on Christmas Eve. I don't remember anything about that Christmas Eve or or what I was doing to evidently drive my parents absolutely crazy. But I was not going to sleep. That much I know. Uh, And I could not go to sleep. I was was being a five-year-old on Christmas Eve and doing what they they do. and So I I was doing that, and, and all I remember is that what my parents tell me really happened and what i remember in my mind are two different two different stories but what i remember is that my dad convinced me that if i didn't go to sleep then santa would not show up at my house because he couldn't land until all the kids were asleep well that was a problem Because I was not interested in going to sleep at all. I was up having fun, probably eating sausage balls and doing doing all that kind of stuff. But he convinced me that Santa was waiting to land. But I wasn't asleep, so he couldn't. So my dad proceeded to take me outside my house and have me look up into the sky. And what I saw in my mind's eye, and what I still to this day can see in my mind's eye, is a red light glowing just a few feet above our roof like right there now i didn't see anything but i saw a red light like right there but my dad said well he he can't land until until you go to bed and i was like well here we go so whatever whatever dad said was like all right Whatever, I'm not, I'm not doing this because of you, Dad. I'm doing this because we need, we need Santa to come. So I took off, probably the fastest I've ever ran in my life. Jumped into bed, and you would think that this would be like the exact opposite thing of what I would need in order to go to sleep. Uh, but uh, I, I pulled the covers over my head, and uh, I guess I, I fell asleep. But what what my dad says to me is, and what my mom swears to me, is that there was no... Red light just above the roof. That never happened. I'm telling you, I can see it as much as I can see you. As much as I can see you. But they tell me that didn't happen. Instead, what it was was a jet that was you know, 20,000 feet up there with a red blinking light. And that's what my dad was, was showing me. So, I don't know. I was five years old. I'll trust them. I don't know why, because he, 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 he was lying to me then about it being a plane. Um, so he 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 would gladly say that it it was it was not santa that was up there It was a plane. So he lied to me then so he might be lying to me now. I don't know uh, but uh, I was convinced that there was a a sleigh and santa and a bunch of reindeer That were really waiting to land at my house. So I took off went to bed and uh, and Santa came in the morning. So Apparently he, he made it. Um, but So much of Christmas is is like that. So much of Christmas for us is like that. It is suspending belief so that we can be entertained and so that our minds can kind of settle into a false assurance that all will be well. Convincing ourselves in spite of all evidence to the contrary that we need something to make things just happier for a little while. And believing and suspending all disbelief so that we can believe all the things that the culture throws at us. Believing that a present will make us happier. Believing that 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 that, that taking things and getting things and spending this money, believing that uh, doing all, you know, watching these movies and celebrating the sentiment of, of Christmas, that all that will really make us happy. So we dive headlong, which is great, until it's not. Now, I'm not knocking imagination. I think we should let our kids be kids. Please do that. Let them fall in love with the wonder of Christmas time. You too, like I said, don't let cynicism and the stress of your bank account rob you of the joy that is Christmas. But if you stop there and settle for this cotton candy tastes good in the moment but gives you no real value, you will find that the profound mystery of Christmas is lost on you. And that when you need something tangible and real, it won't be there for you. Because the fake trees and the fake snow can only go so far until you need something real. And that's where the incarnation Emmanuel, God with us, stands in. The mystery of the incarnation is far greater than any storyline of a movie or any ad campaign for a retailer. Perhaps that seems obvious for us to say, like, thanks preacher, I could, have, I could have gotten that from one of those Christmas movies. But the incarnation is so easily lost when we have the familiarity of the manger scene. But it's helpful to step back and be reminded that in that manger was that same God that Isaiah saw come to dwell among His people. And all too often at Christmas, we can forget to behold that. In John chapter 1, the theme verse for our series that we have had here says, in the Word, this is verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen or we have beheld His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now when Isaiah beheld the glory of God, he was undone. I wonder when we behold the glory of God in the Son, if we are the same. Just a few verses later, John chapter 1, verse 25. They're asking a question of John the Baptist, and he says this. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, and even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across from the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin." Of the world. So John the Apostle writes about John the Baptist and, and how John had been out in the wilderness baptizing people, teaching about repentance. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and Jesus has come to be baptized. He's come to announce his public ministry that it's about to begin. He walks up, and then John uses that word, behold. He calls our attention, it demands a response, and he tells us, behold. And gives us that invitation to the front row seat to something. And what is it that he gives us that invitation to? To see Jesus, the Lamb of God, that has come to take away the sins of the world. There's so much I could say here. I'll try to keep it short, simple, to the point this morning. But Jesus came here to die. That was his mission. Don't misunderstand. He did much more than that. He taught us what it means to live as a citizen of a different kingdom. He taught us what it means to, to, to love others, to care for others, and what that would look like. He, he showed us what it looks like whenever the kingdom of God breaks into us and in our reality today. But His purpose ultimately was to die. And John wants us to see this. Even as Jesus' ministry begins, we already know where it is going to end jesus as a slaughtered lamb you see this is what christmas is all about not just the birth of jesus but his death too the incarnation needed to happen for us to have any hope at all but unlike the cultural christmas that we're surrounded by the incarnation is full of a real hope that is built to endure It's not meant to go away and to satisfy for a moment and make you feel good. It is meant to give you real hope. Not the syrupy sweetness of Christmas nostalgia. But instead it is exactly what we needed at exactly the right time. It's a Savior that has come to die for us because we needed someone to stand in our place. It's a God that sends His Son to suffer and die in our place because only He can bear the burden for our sin. christmas is the first few chapters of that story you see christmas and easter are like the bookends of the christmas or the 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 story of jesus's life you you lose one and the whole story kind of falls apart you got to have them both they both work together as a as a team as a tandem one end you have the incarnation and on the other you have the resurrection one doesn't mean much without the other but together they serve their purpose. Friends, this morning, don't settle for the feel-goods this Christmas, but behold the Lamb of God. Stop and consider the depth of the incarnation. God with us. I want you to turn to one more text for me. Matthew chapter 28. Maybe a text you're more used to reading in In April, Easter, instead of December at Christmas, I want you to see something here. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was an earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Oh man, it's beautiful. Three times. Behold. Stop. Come and see. You've been invited. A front row seat to see the resurrection of the Son of God. Do you see it here? The book doesn't end with this syrupy sweetness. It's not make-believe. It ends with this profound truth. At Christmas time, the message of the angel is, Behold, he is here. He has come down. But now at Easter, the message from the angel is, Behold, he is not here. He is risen. Do you see the bookends there? Do you see the beauty of that? From behold, He is here. He has come down. To behold, He is not here. He is risen. This morning we're going to celebrate the Christmas story and the Easter story all in one because it's one story. We're going to take a few minutes to behold and we're going to do that through the taking of the Lord's Supper. What we would ask is that if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, the table is going to be open to you if you are not a Christian, if you are not a follower of Christ, we just ask that you would abstain. This is an observance for those who follow Christ. But to consider, I, I would ask you to consider while you while you sit and while you while you you contemplate things for you to behold this morning the truth of a of a God who came, a glorious, all powerful God who came and humbled Himself. humbled himself to be a baby. But then a God who in power was risen and who the angel could say, behold, he is not here, he is risen. Will you pray with me? Father, what a beautiful story. And how great it is that it is not just a story that we tell ourselves but it is a a story that is true. And Father, we hold on to that truth. That this story is true. And that it is the story that we need in the the worst moments of our lives, in the most hopeless moments that we feel, that we can latch on to that, not some kind of weak, saccharine story that's just going to, Go away after we feel good for a little while. But the story that sustains, that endures, that gives us hope for this life and for the next. And it's in the name of that King that has come and that King that has risen that we pray. Amen.